0: <laughs> Hello ladies and gentlemen, you just caught me reading this book <laughs> You mean this book? Oh my god, is oh my everyone god.
1: reading it? Oh. I've been caught reading the same book as you, oh, <laughs> uh, this is my
0: favourite book Stop, Ooh.
1: stop,
0: stop. Uh. Out. it's a surprise for everyone <sighs> Greetings <laughs> ladies and gentlemen Welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers Episode 164, hashtag the porn broker. Mm, I am not Pornhub, the porn broker. Yes. Very different. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I am one of your host George Tarrant alongside the man who will lead us all in this blissful new life that is ahead of us and that every day of tomorrow, Mr. Travis Croft, how are you sir?
1: I am fine and dandy and I feel like my reputation
0: precedes me. It does, it does indeed. <laughs> I spouted from the rooftops. Now, I have been far too busy with certain things like God of War Ragnarok coming out today on PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 4 to be able to actually get a full gamut of movie and TV show viewings. I haven't had a chance to play Ragnarok because I was serving all of you sons of bitches in my store today. I hope you're all enjoying it. Apparently it is coming out very, very well, but Travis is absolutely um, lifting lifting the show even higher than he normally does. We have got a a bit of a stacked show for you. We are talking about our chain movie of the week following Morgan Freeman from last week's Dreamcatcher, which was still very much a steaming pile of turd for both myself and Travis. We are following him to his uncredited role in *The Pawnbroker*, and his first role I, ever. I I failed. I failed to actually spot him. It's it takes some
1: effort. It's a non-speaking yeah. <laughs> role. <laughs>
0: it's, I, I think he was in the. Was he in the background in uh, one of the pool scenes?
1: No, he was outside the pawn shop smoking a cigarette in the uh, oh. scene at the end of the film, towards the end of the film.
2: Oh, um, I, honestly.
1: If you, were, if you didn't i was looking real closely because i googled it while i was yeah. watching going where is he and there's like <laughs> those massive online debates because apparently he's never confirmed it um but that's oh. believed to be but i i did a slight cheat but indb credited as yep, his first that, cinematic that, role that is
0: enough for this show we are the bare minimum ladies and germs <laughs> um I have got the keys for where we're going next. And it's a movie that I've heard a few things about. It has got a good 85 on Metacritic. And I've never had a chance to watch it. And there are plenty of good quality actors and directors, producers, and writers that will be able to give you plenty of places to go for afterwards. But we will get to that reveal later on. Travis is going to talk about Argentina 1985 that we did say that we were going to do last week, but we ended up running along, so he's going to talk about it this week. Um, I have watched more of The Peripheral on Prime Video. Um, we've got Always Be My Maybe, Enola Holmes 2, Weird and Bros to talk about. So let's get on with the show straight into our chain movie of the week, hashtag chain movie, The Pawnbroker. Broker. P A W N. Just a reminder. <laughs>
1: this is
0: not a Trey Parker
1: and Matt Stone film. No. Um, have you ever seen Orgasm?o We should try and find a reason. Yes, I one.
0: have. I it's have seen good. it. It's it's interesting. <laughs> it's
1: a funny movie. Um, I nominated the porn broker because mm. um, it's kind of the opposite of Dreamcatcher. Uh, in that I it was, it's a good movie. In black and white, it was made about 60 years ago and it's made by a genius and it's actually good. The mm-hmm. um, porn Broker is in a poor neighborhood of New York for bitter and lonely Jewish pawnbroker Sol Nazerman He's a survivor from Auschwitz that has no emotions or feelings. Sol lost his dearest family and friends in the war and his faith in God and belief in mankind. Now mm-hmm. he only cares for money and is haunted by daydreams, actually flashbacks from the period of the concentration camp. Sol's mm-hmm. assistant is the ambitious Latino... Jesus Ortiz, who wants to learn with Saul how to run a business of his own. When Saul realizes the obscure laundry business he has, been, he has with the powerful gangster Rodriguez comes also from brothels, Saul recalls the fate of his beloved wife in the concentration mm. camp and has a nervous breakdown. His attitude leads Jesus Ortiz to a tragedy, and mm-hmm. Saul finds a way to cry. Mm. Um is a black and white, as I said, stars mm. the great Rod Steiger, As he was nominated for an Academy Award Mm -hmm. but lost to uh, someone else who's in a movie I've never seen. Um, The only other real name in here you might recognize is Brock Peters. He plays Rodriguez, the gangster, and he, as I noted last week, played Admiral Cartwright in a couple of the uh, Star Trek original series movies, Star Trek IV and Star Trek VI.
0: Now, there Um, was actually another face in there that I recognized, and that was Charles Durkow. Robinson, and um, he was in Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid and The Sting, two classic ones. So um, he's a he's a face that I went, oh, I know him.
1: Also in <laughs> Silent Night, Deadly Night as the killer Santa. And if that's not what we're watching next week, I, for one, will be disappointed. Um, well, you we to be
3: disappointed.
1: <laughs> but, <laughs> um, this is a pretty full-on movie. Um, yeah. this is as I mentioned earlier, directed by a Genius, is directed by the great Sidney Lumet or Lumet. I don't actually know, you know if it's Lumet or Lumet. Uh, it's yeah. Mr. Lume. Um, for those who are uninitiated and don't know who he is, unfortunately, he has passed away yeah. about 10 years ago now. But he was about to start one hell of a run with this film. This is an early film in his yeah. um BC's directorial career but he started his directorial career with a little movie called 12 angry men, mm, uh, in never, heard heard of it. never heard of it. It's nope. certainly not rated as, uh, the number, you know, one of the top, you know, mm. 250 on IMDb. I don't remember exactly which one it is, but it's, uh, usually there about number five, apparently on IMDb. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, a, it's, he, it's not really, nowhere. nowhere, nothing, not really did very much from there. Uh, is Long Day's Journey into Night, which is a Mm. well-known one. Failsafe, probably less well-known. Actually, a really fucking great movie. Uh, Went on to direct... Sorry?
0: I remember Failsafe, I think.
1: Uh, Dog Day Afternoon, Serpito, that kind of thing. Um, Mm. The guy, seriously, was one of the greats. Um, Yeah. Network. Uh, Who can Mm -hmm. forget... The Wiz, <laughs> um, which is, of course, the of
0: for what it is. Michael
1: Jackson musical. Um, he got around in the Sydney Lumet, but this is early <laughs> in his career, and you can really feel it because it's not a film that really evokes the 60s for me because there's a lot of experimental shit going on in here. They're trying really hard to eschew some of the established um, mm-hmm. protocols of cinema and do some stuff that's different. The, flat- the way their flashbacks are just sort of slotted in yeah smash smash cuts into these flashbacks um and they're sort of like two frames flashes of stuff and it's like it goes on for a few seconds at a time and it's honestly actually a little bit annoying and not as successful as it could be but i can it's different it feels really different yeah
0: yeah it's um i think a lot of that is part of the challenge of watching this movie is the experimental nature of it and there's some similarities in the, the technical slash production side of this movie, watching it now, as I have watching something like Citizen Kane, where it was just mind-blowing, the idea of having the camera move forwards through a window into a scene and things like that. what? what? That's obviously fucking dead and gone when you think about the amount of fucking... Like, the, the Rousseau brothers in that movie they made... Um, halfway through this year, with so much drone work going through, it's now gone to extreme lengths. Um, but as we've 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 gone through a number of movies where it's the Godfather effect of oh, this feels um, you know tried and trite and stagnant, and it's like oh, it's very very basic. And I'm like yeah, because this is where it was starting. Um, one of the, the big things for me that really consistently ran out, not just the um, the editing of these kind of kind of post traumatic stress hallucinations that um, Saul is having, um, was actually the sound. The sound, um, the sound control, the um, the use of kind of stock audio and things like that. It was used to really. Elicit an emotion. For the prime one that I'm thinking of right now is um, in the flashback where we see him imagining and remembering that person trying to climb up the the fence and the dog coming after it. It's a dog. It's an Alsatian, <laughs> but the sound effect is of a tiger. It's going. <laughs> rawr, rawr. It's like, yeah, that's not what dogs sound like. <laughs> but the idea, the the intensity of that noise, that's what they were trying to elicit in that and. Whilst, because we're so used to such high quality sound production now, it does stand out, but I get why they chose it. And the the audio of um, the city, um, so many shots of him just walking through the streets. And then we think of uh, something like when we watched Bullet and the sound of San Francisco. It was an evolved version of this. Um, It was quite quite expressive for its time and i think that um not just that but the the content as well the fact that um there's the the full frontal this is the uh first
1: film apparently to have a full frontal um uh nude shot If you uh first u.s film to show a nude woman from the waist up and Mm. be granted a production code seal um mm. so I was actually not expecting that from a film from
0: 1964. I was a bit
1: shocked. Yeah. Apparently, so was the actress.
0: One. Yeah. The the other one was um uh the just a little cutaway scene um with uh Robinson, um the, the other actor that I recognized, and he's sitting there just kind of ogling two male models. That I was, was like, interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. in the magazine. Yeah, it was it was a I great think- little moment because he was kind of kind of flicking his gun around just very casual but it told so much and it was just like wait what in a 1964 movie then you're insinuating he's a homosexual like in yeah. a
3: 1964
1: yeah. i mean that must have been pretty controversial yeah i mean but maybe they sway it and maybe that's uh how they snuck it in is they put the nude scene in and the yeah. NPA guys were so busy like having a, having a panic attack. Don't look in the left hand. <laughs> um, I've heard of them doing that shit before. It's like putting something really shocking in so they can get something else that mm. they're not noticing. Um, uh, so, just gives a pretty decent idea. We have Sol, he runs his pawn shop. Ortiz mm. works for him. Uh, the pawn shop is an incredible set. I mm. love the pawn shop set. So, um, you can look up images of this online if you like, but it's mm-hmm. all cages. Obviously, you know, a pawn shop would generally look like that, right? I mean, they're dealing with a lot of cash and valuable gear, mm-hmm. popular, popular place to rob, so yeah. he works behind a cage. But there are cages within cages there. Yeah. So it's almost difficult sometimes to figure out where the cage ends and where the store begins. Yeah. Um, and they're constantly sort of moving in and out of a cage, uh, particularly Ortiz. But I mean, there's the genius of this for me, is that, and I'm, I'm pretty fucking stupid. Um, and symbolism usually goes way over my head. Um, yeah. But it's, it's pretty fucking obvious, and it's really nicely done that the soul is a prisoner in his own mind. He is a prisoner to yeah. his memories, to his trauma. Um, yeah. And uh, he's pretty much, when he's in that store, he stays inside that cage, um, whereas Ortiz moves in and out of the cage. Yeah. yeah, like Ortiz is only sort of he doesn't, he's not a prisoner about trauma, but he does visit with Saul and he sort of sucks up some of that trauma because he's kind of on the receiving end of some of Saul's, shall we say, bad. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um,
1: and that's a wonderful metaphor for the story mm-hmm. because this is a man who is trapped by his past. He's, yeah. um, I found the opening scenes actually kind of hilarious. It's almost like something you would see the Simpsons take the piss out of, of you know, happy people dancing in a freaking meadow and children laughing and catching butterflies and having a picnic and eating beautiful food. Then Nazis with machine guns Uh, and people screaming, and you're like, oh
0: goodness. I'll tell you something. The this movie is a masterpiece of telling story without. Without words, because you commented about Saul being trapped in this cage, and that is reflective in a in a number of points. First, first up, when we first see him in there, it's a lot of close ups, and we don't really see the walls of the prison. So, it's even in his mind, he's still like all kind of prim and tidy and keeping it all together. And over the course of the film, we see his visual, um, his visage kind of break, his hair starts coming coming down, he gets beaten up at one point. And it's also in time with these increasingly rapid flashbacks that are happening to him and causing him effect, as well as every time we are getting the camera pulling out and seeing the size of the porn shop, as well as the cages within cages, and then um, when he's kind of, he goes to visit um, that the woman, he says, I've, uh, no, it's um, when he's having lunch with her, he says, I have found a place within myself that I'm very comfortable with and everyone just, I would just want everyone to leave me alone. And that's kind of right at the point of the story where it's that tipping point where we go from this generally horrible, unlikable, boring man to Suddenly, sort of like seeing his world and those plates spinning just wobble in more and more and more. It's incredibly done. Yeah, it's a good point. You, 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 this is,
1: I mean, we talked a little bit about it last week. If this is a perfect example of show, don't tell. If mm. You have to explain stuff to us, like for a five mm. minute monologue of exposition, you failed. Yeah. Um, most of the time, there are exceptions, of course. But, um, you, I, you found soul particularly dislikable then?
0: Yeah, at the start, full disclosure, I thought this movie was boring as shit. And then it was like, okay, I don't like this guy. I have no interest. And I soldiered through. And my God, I'm glad I did because it's a fucking phenomenal journey of a character.
1: The end is just the end of this film, but like the final act is outstanding. It really yeah. rewards, you said it rewards the viewer. It mm. does suffer a bit from being of its time. Yeah, uh, especially in the first half. Um, mm. Films of the 60s could afford to get away with being of a more languid pace.
3: Mm. Um,
1: you probably don't get away with that at a whole, maybe an indie film. I am probably lying. Chloe Zhao still makes films. Um, <laughs> but, you know, um, Ooh, watch have out Chloe, you, that knife is coming for you. Have you seen Nomadland? I mean, it is a journey of it is, very, it is very... Course slow journey. Um, But it it was more common, I think, of these sort of films Mm -hmm. at the time to be a little bit more, uh, a little slower if they're storytelling. And uh, it certainly can be, and some things sort of just happen. Like Brock Peters at one point just turns up and he's hanging out and saying, giving him orders. Like someone's going to come by and give you $5,000. This is his name. And Mm
3: -hmm. you don't get a
1: whole lot of explanation about who he is or why he's there. You just kind of got to put the pieces together and go, okay, he's some sort of fucking gangster, I guess. Um, Is he paying protection money? I don't know. Um, But as you sort of note, it really starts to ramp up. Um, What did you make of Jesus Ortiz's character? I thought his journey was also one of the more interesting ones in the film.
0: Yes, absolutely agree. Um, I feel like it suffers a little bit from from another trope of, of its time where the actors just looked a bit too old for the the vibrancy of the character and the kind of age that I think he was actually trying to be um, because there was, you know, his character is almost that point of um, idolized youthful idolization of Saul. Um, but he just looks a little bit old to kind of get away with it. Um, but um, the performer where it was his name, I want to get it right. uh James Sanchez um, he uh, he still does a really good um, he he does a really good job of of bringing that and especially from his opening opening introduction of him kind of coming in like a like a blast of icy cold wind into the pawn shop and just being loud and braggadocious and then being very quickly put, put in his place and then those much more quiet scenes of him referring to Saul as teacher and things like that. And the, the odd dichotomy of him at work versus him trying to just be a good guy, but feeling the pressure of the street on him.
1: I think um, he is sort of our entree to one of the other parts of the story, which is a bit more subtle, mm. um, is that this store is in Harlem, I think. Um, so it's supposed to be in one of the poorer neighborhoods of New York. Mm. I don't think Harlem is poor anymore, by the way. Um, <laughs> I don't know, but I don't think it is. I don't think there are any mm. poor neighborhoods in New York City. Um, this was set in Hell's Kitchen. I know uh, that guy with a mask he was jumping yeah. around in a liver suit. Um, that was a bit weird. I don't know, it's an odd choice for director. <laughs> um, it's a poor neighborhood, it's a pretty rough, pretty poor mm. neighborhood that he's a member of. Uh, mm. he's, he's working in. Um, mm. and I think the um. I think the idea is that this is supposed to be a reflection as well of, mm. of, of what happened during the Holocaust in the sense that um, the people, while he was a prisoner in a camp, the, mm. his customers, his neighbours, are prisoners of their poverty
2: mm. uh,
1: and they're prisoners in a different way. They're prisoners of their circumstances. Um, and, you know, whereas he had to do what he had to do to survive in the camp these people have to do what they have to do to survive their circumstances and Jesus Ortiz sorry uh, is I think a perfect example of that and he's trying really hard mm. to sort of try and walk the path of a righteous man Yeah. Uh, to quote one um, of uh, Morgan Freeman's letter rolls in uh, Pulp Fiction I think it was um, sorry that was a joke <laughs> Don't point that out to me but that's not true yeah. <laughs> Um, I
0: think you're, I think you're mixing him up with Lawrence Fishburne.
1: And I'm oh, sure it's was Dan's at Washington. Um, that's <laughs> fucking racist. And I won't have it. Um, but he, uh, I, I think that's kind of an idea. I'm not sure it's as well-developed potentially, mm. but I think that's supposed to be, he has these really pathetic customers who are coming in, like the pregnant mm. lady who tries to bring in her, her wedding or engagement ring and he just goes, that's glass. And mm. he just sort of had, destitution when she realizes it's not real, he told me it was real and, you know um, and how desperate these people are to, to survive. Mm. Um, And and I think that's an interesting comment there, but I I don't know. You get away with that today in the sense of like, can you really compare uh, extreme poverty to being in a German concentration camp? I don't know. Um, But uh, I thought it was an interesting try by the film. And I believe the film is based on a book. And I believe that was, um, that theme was quite heavily reinforced in the book, maybe Mm, more mm. so in
0: the film. Yeah. Um, I think that there's, again, more visual storytelling in that where Saul is walking along and he sees a group of guys just beating the shit out of this one poor black guy. And it's not just Saul that just walks on because he has a flashback to, to, being beaten up in the concentration camps but there's another couple that just casually walk past there's no sirens going no nothing so it's further expressing the almost mad maxian level of the streets at night you know it's it's a it's a dangerous place if you're the wrong wrong ethnicity or religion or anything like that you you'll get fucked up, and it makes the whole movie scary. Uh,
1: yeah, and it's, um geez, I tell you what, you wouldn't want to be in the wrong place at the wrong time in that neighbourhood. But, but back to those flashbacks, though, they are, I think the scene of the film for me, probably aside from the conclusion, mm. is the scene where uh, Ortiz's girlfriend comes to the, um, the, uh, the porn shop. Ortiz is trying to raise money uh i think his business off the ground uh mm. and they're short some money mm. and she tries to go to the store owner to get that extra money because uh she knows that ortiz is going to do something it's going to take him off his path he's still yeah. right straight now you know, you know what it reminded me of that point was emily the criminal from a few weeks ago which is a really about that challenge mm. of audrey, audrey Plaza's character trying to make that decision about walking a straight line and getting a real job a straight job or mm-hmm. you know, the appeal the you know the money um, from from doing illegal things, not in the same class of film, but I found myself drawing parallels. Mm, mm. But um, Ortiz's girlfriend rolls up to the pawnbroker and tries to sell some stuff to make enough money to uh, to avoid Ortiz having to make the wrong choice. Mm. Unfortunately, though, that's he doesn't have enough stuff to actually be able to make that happen. Mm. So she tries to sell herself to to Saul to make the money. Mm that she is a sex worker. And mm-hmm. that is the, the the topless scene that we talked about earlier on. But it's mm-hmm. one of the most incredible scenes in the film in the sense that she's saying to him, you can look. It costs you nothing to look. It doesn't cost mm-hmm. you anything to look. And she's trying to entice him into, into using her services, shall we say. Mm-hmm. But that moment is when he has one of those, the most visceral flashbacks in, in the film where he can actually, he's actually flashing back to being, in uh, again, back in the camp, we in Auschwitz, I think it's assumed, where he is forced to, uh, he's had his head smashed through a window by a Nazi guard and is mm. forced to watch his um, his wife being uh, sexually assaulted, essentially raped, I guess is the insinuation here, because mm. they couldn't, they probably couldn't show it, but I think that's what they were trying to say by, yeah. you know, by Nazi, by pre- pre- camp guards. Um, yeah. And that's, that's that vision he's having at the moment. She's, yeah, you know, and he's cutting back between the two of me. She's like, wow, mm. that's fucked up in the most powerful way. Mm. It's done so nicely in the film. And so you can kind of go, that's horrible, but I like how you're doing it. I can appreciate the mm-hmm. skill that's gone yeah. into, into that scene. That's the kind of intense shit you're going to be watching with this film if you can be lucky enough to find a copy because it's very difficult to find.
0: Yeah, but... Um overall i think that this movie was a complete success um worthy of the the praise that it's received at, at the time of release and going forwards it's it's a it's a challenging watch it, it it is kind of confronting in a lot of ways but i also think that this is kind of an important movie to watch because it tells a kind of story that we don't really get too much of. Um, And even when we do, it's somewhat, it's not as visceral as this. Like there are movies that, especially in the last kind of 10, 15 years, there have been more movies that are coming in and talking about the effects of um, post-traumatic stress disorder and similar kind of life-altering extreme scenarios and survivor's guilt which is what he definitely is struggling with because he 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 embraces death he he wants it um so i think that it is very important to have that and to keep going and the kind of one of the more recent ones that i can think of is like briefly mentioned it last week because of bradley cooper but american sniper um and just the the cause and effect of that now it's there's it's it's more about it never feels quite as intimate or personal as this movie does this really felt intimate and borderline invasive of him and a part of that is again the design of the movie we are we are one of the people that saul wants to fuck off and leave alone because he doesn't like people visiting him. And we are literally visiting him. We are visiting him at the pawn shop. We are visiting him at his most intimate private times. Um, Great example. The two um, romance scenes intercut between Jesus and um, Saul. And Saul is just there and we just see these slow hands just grasping no movement of bodies or anything like that. He's looking away from the camera, whereas Saul, it's youthful, passionate, fun. Um, so that kind of making it difficult and really getting us into the scene in a way that I haven't experienced in a very long time. So The film came to mind for
1: me, and I agree with everything you've just said there, um, was maybe, and it's not as successful as this film, was Rain Over Me, the uh, Don Cheadle, mm. Adam Sandler, first time I'm recording an Adam Sandler film in a positive manner. <laughs> um, but if you but think about so this, like, I mean, you're right, it's a very visceral film. And the people who made this, this is less than 20 years after the Holocaust, actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, there are people who were apparently were offered the role, whose parents died in the Holocaust, There were probably film directors working in Hollywood who had escaped Nazi Germany. Yeah. Um, so it would have been very much in people's minds as a fresh horror, you know, of mm-hmm. what's something could have actually happened. Survivors would have been in there, you know, very well, many, many survivors probably well into their you know, 30s and 40s at this point in time after mm-hmm. surviving um, the Holocaust. Um, so it would have been a much more painful and clear memory, whereas to us it feels like a historical event, a truly mm-hmm. horrific the most horrific in many ways historical event you could possibly imagine, but it's mm. distant. It's you know, 70, mm. 80 years ago now. Where so if you take something like Rain Over Me is a a horror, mm. a you know, a tragedy that happened, you know, in our lifetimes, so it's 20 years ago now. So um, the, vis- the visceral nature of a film made about someone mm. who survived that is maybe a little bit more clean with us than yeah. it would be with someone who is, let's say, twenty. Who doesn't mm-hmm. remember it? Or fucking yeah. hell, wasn't born when it happened. That's crazy. Um, yeah. <sighs> so that was that was a, that was, um, that was a, what I was thinking to I found like it's an interesting thing to see a film from the '60s deal with because PTSD probably didn't have a name
0: back then. Yeah, yeah. It was it was very much an attitude of suck it up, get on with it. And that's obviously the worst fucking thing to do. But that was, that was the attitude of it. And that was the attitude of people coming, uh, not just in America, but in the UK. Like I remember talking very um, towards the end of my granddad's, both my granddad's lives, they started opening up more about their experiences in the war and particularly what it was like coming back. And they saw they didn't see the front lines or anything like that they were they were far enough away from the front lines so to speak but they still saw stuff they still experienced things that people should not fucking experience and the way that they were kind of expected to act and just kind of go nah fine we did it for king and country and all that bollocks (laughs) no (laughs) but you, you did it because some assholes were fucking assholes and everyone had to end up suffering you're allowed to feel bad <laughs> you're allowed to cry about this you are allowed to take time to heal um i love this yeah. movie mm, i
1: i really liked it as well it was it's not an easy watch no it's a bit slow in parts the serious mm-hmm. serious content um mm-hmm. but uh as we of these type of things they are quite rewarding if you can make it all the way mm. through if yes. you're in the mood for something lighter,
3: keep moving.
1: Um, but yeah. I would strongly recommend this if you're a fan of this kind of. If what we've talked about today sounds like your kind of thing, mm. uh, then I think if you just enjoy incredible acting, because mm. Rod Steiger was fucking amazing in this, he blew the roof off this one. Yeah, um, apparently he was pissed he lost the Oscar. Um, but um, and Sydney Lumet is him at the top of his game. Mm-hmm. Check it, out, like check out this guy's run from the 60s through to the 80s. Like, hmm. this guy was... We talk about John Carter's hot run sometimes or, you know, uh, John Landis, these sort of guys who do about three or four good films in a row.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: This guy was on top of his game for, like, 20 fucking years. He was a legend. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm anyway, glad I, you I that way. I'm glad I picked it too. You have the keys. Where are you taking us next?
0: I'm following Sidney Lueck. <laughs> and we are going to one of his um, one of his last movies... And we are going to go to the 2007 Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. This is a good one. See, I've never seen it, um, so I'm excited to experience it. When two brothers organise the robbery of their parents' jewellery the jewelry store, the job goes horribly wrong, triggering a series of events that sends them, their father, and one brother's wife barreling towards a shattering climax. This has got quite a selection of people in there it's philip seymour hoffman back to his ballpark again ethan Hawke, albert finney marissa tomey michael shannon um who else have we got in there we have got the original movie aunt may rosemary harris that can get us to spider-man you can Ah. lead you to spider-man there you go
1: we're the leaders of Spider-Man 3 as well, so, you know, not all bodes well. Uh,
0: um, it's written by Kelly Masterson, uh, who hasn't actually got too much... This was her first writing... Um, credited writing before, uh, piece. And then she did the screenplay for Snowpiercer. Um, She'd done uh, Killing Kennedy, a TV movie, Good People, and she seems to generally be sitting in the Snowpiercer section. Um... As one of the based, it seems to be just a based on credit. So don't know whether she's still working or not, but she's got some interesting pieces on her resume there.
1: Well, that will be next week. Mm -hmm. Um, Something to look forward to there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. Now, what do you want to talk about next?
1: You let to tell me how you're going with the peripheral.
0: The Peripheral, yes, absolutely. The Prime Video new show starring Chloe Griss Moritz. Um, we both watched the first two episodes, and we both liked it. This, we have now gotten to, I think, episode four. Uh, I'm just going to quickly just check that right now, because I don't want to turn tell tales out of school Yeah. Uh, we've got four, uh, four episodes, and it is developing nicely. It has kind of cooled off a smidge from the from the high quality that, and uh, narrative drive that was in the first two, but it is building more of the characters. Um, one character in particular, um, hang on, I'm just going to get his name and the actor, uh, Corbel Pickett the kind of the it seems like the CD underworld boss of this town played by lewis Hurtum, and there's a sequence in it which is awesome um i won't go into detail because uh you said you're going to get back to this at some point um but needless to say if you keep animals in your car wind down the window <laughs> um, <laughs> It's it's doing a really nice job of just developing the, each of the characters that we've generally already been introduced to over the first two episodes and not only just kind of going, oh, we're talking about this person and this is th- their reasons. It's also informing and leading into the next one. And not only are we getting that in the present time, which... Claudia Grace Moritz is primarily in. Um, we are getting it in all the England scenes as well. We have kind of met the big bad, I suppose, or the, the antagonist, I guess, would be the technical term. Um, but I still think there's going to be more. And this is a Jonathan Nolan um, Joy project. So there's probably going to be a twist. Um, they're interesting and they, have, they are doing things, they've got plans and they're kind of just nebulous at the moment, these plans, but there's threats. And it feels like, okay, this person is unhinged, is dangerous, and not just because they've got all of the stooges running people down, they are themselves a threat so it's really developing nicely into kind of a thriller sort of um vibe to it with that science fiction video game sheen um the quality of the um the special effects is fantastic it maintains very very nicely it has definitely dropped off like we talked about the the, the variety from episode one to episode two which had much more action in it um there's not been that big action sequence again yet, or nothing quite to reach that. Um, but the little bits of action that are in it are still well done, and it still feels. This feels like a slightly different kind of show than what, than what it's kind of presenting as, which is like, oh, it's a sci-fi show with a time travel element. You, when you hear those kind of buzzwords, you you have a rough idea in your head you get a picture in your head of what it's going to be like and how it's going to tell its story this feels different which i'm really appreciating so it's a bit more of a mind fuck than say your standard
1: sci-fi actioner
0: it's not mind fuck it's um mind coddle it's, it's not as it's not as invasive or making you kind of think and just kind of trying to work out. So sort like, of, oh, so cause and effect, that happens and that was going to change that and that's going to change that. That hasn't really come into it at this point. I think that that sort of um, cause and effect drama is going to play into it in some way, but probably not in the first season. I think there's just going to be some little hints and little nods to it, like, They've started having little conversations that at least lead you in that kind of thought process. If you if you hear them, if you if you want to fish out those those thoughts. Um, but yeah, it's it's another good quality show from Prime Video. They're they're doing surprisingly well, keeping a good a good to great standard. Like we um, both enjoyed uh, the Terminal. Um, uh terminal list with uh chris pratt which apparently
1: it was you know quite controversial apparently critics hated it and fox Mm. news loved it and the guy who wrote it came out and said it was because woke culture didn't like him and stuff and i'm like that makes me like your show less but um, yeah it was enjoyable
0: yes as a show I, i enjoyed it um i liked rings of power There's this it's they're doing quite well considering they they came to the party a little bit later than some of the other ones but they are they're definitely determined to stay in that space so good i'm looking forward to what they come up with next
1: that's encouraging to see it's Mm -hmm. hanging in there Um Mm -hmm. I, i i just want to be in the mood for you know like jonathan nolan's work
0: yeah it's, it's not the sort of thing where you can just go, oh, yeah, I'll just have that on in the background.
1: I just dip like, in and out. You know? You've know. you got to be <laughs> yeah. loaded for an episode and got to pay attention. Speaking yeah. of Jonathan Nolan, um, Westworld got cancelled this week,
0: and if you saw. Yeah. They're finishing up. They're releasing season four, and apparently the actors are being paid out for season five. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can do last-minute rights to, to tie it all off or if i would guess at this point that season four is pretty much in the can um so maybe it's just going to be one of those shows that's just
3: never finished
0: or somebody else picks it up
1: you know maybe. it's like there's so much demand for content right now so i of a brand name that said i turned out after about halfway through the second season is this got a little bit too? I uh, just like I don't really know what's happening on this show. now. I, I
0: still I really know. enjoyed it. But while we're on I've the topic, while we're on the topic of TV shows, <clears throat> we need to have a, a conversation with Disney And I feel like you know what I'm going to bring up here. It is the certain news of Disney Plus eyeing up. Indiana Jones for a TV show. I did see that, yes. Mm-hmm. Did you vomit at the idea as well?
1: I was like, could you fucking not?
0: Yeah. Yeah, like, let's not say we did.
1: Now, if HBO or AMC own the rights,
3: mm-hmm. and
1: someone said we're going to put together a... Vince Gilligan's going to do it. I would be well behind that, but that would be very interesting. Um, <laughs> be, it'd be a I've bit just weird.
0: uncovered the very first meth lab.
1: Um, but <laughs> it would be a bit weird, but like Disney, I'm sorry, like there are the fanboys out there who keep trying to say every single one of the shows is great. I uh, cried at the end of the Kenobi. Time. She helped owned the man children out there, you know, um, Andor was the best Star Wars thing for years. I, I don't know, I haven't seen that one. Fair enough. Well, the,
0: the the thing with with anyone who says anything of the new Star Wars stuff is the best that there has been in years is because there's not been anything good. And when you are suddenly shown solid mediocrity to okay, by comparison, it seems fucking fabulous. It's that simple. But Indiana Jones as a show. But in fairness, there has been the Indiana Jones TV show before. Yes, Young Indiana Jones, which is fine. What, are they going to do Young Indiana Jones here?
1: I, what what I, are they going to do? I, mean, I would doubt it. I would doubt it. I mean, it's it's weird, right? I mean, I th- thought they were going to do another film.
0: And I yeah. thought there was
1: talk of it and they had a director and some of the cast had been lined up hmm. um, and, and Harrison Ford was coming back. Yeah, like, is this in addition to the fourth Indiana Jones film?
0: I I don't know. Uh, incidentally, I think it's quite funny. I was in JB Hi-Fi the other day. They got a mistake. They got an Indiana Jones quadrilogy box.
1: <laughs> it, <laughs> must, it
0: must have like an ex- extra
1: disc or something from the other three. I don't
0: maybe it's got uh, the young young Indiana Jones stuff in it or something. But it I could do. Um,
1: yeah. But yeah, it's um, it's, it's- not. I don't. It's uh, no. I mean, I guess they got. I'm not surprised. They're going to try and wring every cent out of all the IP that they have. Yeah. And.
0: Uh, Why this? I genuinely don't know what this story is going to be unless it's, unless they do like an anthology series. Prequel. Uh, I don't know. Someone got prequel. A, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Cause Harrison Ford is apparently going to be in the MCU and he's, what 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 is this why why do we even need to see a young indiana jones why do we need to see anything because his early just just looking at it on this kind of scale level let's think of it as dungeons and dragons leveling up he starts in number one finding the ark of the covenant a legitimate god-touched artifact and then number two, he go- it goes more supernatural and a bit weird, and yet it goes mystical. So it's another step up. And depending on where the chronological uh, order of things is, that one came before Raiders or whatever. And then you've got The Last Crusade, which, again, he's dealing with God stuff. Literally the Holy Grail. What, what are they going to do? So like Oh, yeah, when he was younger, he found... W- 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 what's, w- what's going to be something that's still kind of like, oh, fuck, that's cool, but not as cool as
1: the holy grail? Can I pitch an idea that wouldn't suck? Okay. A Disney Plus, Indiana Jones Universe TV show all about short round as a grown-up. Kei Hue Kwan... Gets his own fucking TV show. No maybe we get Harrison Ford handing the hat over at the start or meeting up with him or something.
0: But it's all about short rounds of adventures. That I'd be down for. He's a fucking awesome actor, fabulous and everything everywhere all at once. I want to see more of him. I would be down for that. I mean, they'd still fuck it up. Of course. You know, it's, 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 it would still not. be shite.
1: But, but I'd maybe be more stand more, more of a chance.
0: Yeah, I'd be more willing for that one.
1: That I would watch like. if it's anything to do with the actual core indie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Come on, leave it to the films, right?
0: Well, I mean, honestly, they could probably get Shia Leboff nice and cheap. And you know, there was he talk that him like, like, like son of Indiana Jones or something like that. If you're gonna get burnouts, why don't you just Lindsay Lohan for you're missing the India? There's nothing that says Indiana Jones has to be a man. Mm-hmm. that's that's true um but uh Lindsay Lowen's, she's, she's about to have a comeback she's got, got a christmas movie on netflix man yeah. that's where it starts mm-hmm. next we'll see her with kirk cameron
1: mm-hmm. okay oh my god I, I follow kirk on facebook uh <laughs> and he is dar- no shit a fucking horrible human being <laughs>
0: um, like rant over disney plus Step up your game, please, and stop just butchering childhood memories. Make something new. Yes, please, new things. Or if it's going to be something
1: in an existing universe, it's like something cool, right? Like, it's an interesting idea. Like, how did he fucking get the dice in the Millennium Falcon? People have been asking for years.
0: Oh, shit. Now, that's too too good to tell.
1: uh, So, (laughs) uh, you know, like, how did he get his hat?
0: Well we've already seen
1: that. D yeah. I can't what was that? Last crusade. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um yeah. at least it wasn't fucking lame like how we got his name in solo. Um <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we didn't get his jacketed, huh? I, <laughs> I, I, I have thankfully pretty much forgotten all of Solo. Anyway, i do should
1: we get a little bit more up and
0: crust, uh, a little bit
1: more serious, a
0: bit more real than the uh yeah.
1: A bit more respectable. This is, uh, yeah, talk Oscar bait. <gasps> and Argentina 1985. Apologies to Argentina films, Argentine film fans everywhere, because I did say I was going to talk about mm-hmm. it last week, but mm-hmm. we just ran out of time. And if you saw last week's show, we even had to cut the Morbid time segment right down to its absolute thinnest, thinnest market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lord knows if Morbius doesn't, uh, doesn't get half an hour on the show. What else gets half an hour? <laughs> um, Argentina, 1975. I was really excited to see this pop up. This is a Prime movie. Uh, I believe it's made by Prime mm-hmm. or for Prime, however you want to put it. Uh, mm. And as I, it unsurprisingly, it is an Argentine film. Uh, a team of lawyers takes on the heads of Argentina's bloody military dictatorship during the 1980s in a battle against odds and a race against time. Uh you are not going to know any of the actors in this unless you are a regular listener to this show. And the uh the lead actor in this film is Ricardo Darin. Uh oh, yes. the man, the myth, the original legend, the George Clooney of Latin American film, particularly Argentine <laughs> film, uh, you know, uh the Silver Fox, um, the the man around whom the Darin verse revolves. Um he's actually a fantastic actor, and I really enjoy his films. Like I enjoy his films probably more than anyone in Hollywood, um, except for maybe Brad Pitt. And the fact that Brad Pitt is a piece of shit, apparently, and beat the shit out of tried to beat the shit out of his wife and beat his children, and none of them will talk to him. Um, you hadn't heard about that, huh? No one's heard about that. That how does this not get out there? Look it up. Look it up. None of his kids talk to him. He, on a plane, tried to hit his wife and ended up hitting his kids instead. Like, a few of them. Like, it's fucking disgusting and it's terrible. But I like him as an actor. Anyway, um, not what we're talking about, but Brad Pitt's a piece of shit. Uh, Ricardo Darien. as far as I know, he's not. Uh, so, uh, for those of you who are regular listeners of the show, uh, you might have heard some of the other reviews I've talked about Darien's film. Uh, he has starred in Oscar-winning pictures before, including... Uh, uh, Nine Queens, I think, one for Best Foreign Film. He was also in the original The Secret in Their Eyes, which was remade in Hollywood with Julia Roberts. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and this is, uh, again, if you are a regular listener, you might remember a few, maybe a m- couple of months ago, I talked about a film called The Official Story, which was um, made shortly after the end of a dictatorship in Argentina and, and sort of dealt with a lot of the issues that came up about the, the dictatorship and the oppression that the country suffered under their rule, uh, particularly around the disappeared, uh, as they—I think I'm calling it right—these are the people who they they just basically flat out fucking murdered, tortured, sure. killed. The dictatorship, um, anyone they didn't like. Interestingly, Argentina, I believe, remains the only country who actually successfully tried and convicted the junta or the dictators, uh, the members of the military who made up you know, the military government who, uh, who were um, running the country between the mid-70s and the early, in the early 80s and mm-hmm. who were responsible um, for the um, reign of terror, which led to you know tens of thousands of deaths and murders and disappeared people. Um, this is the story of an effort to try and convict the generals for their their crimes while they were running argentina so the fact that they remain the only country who's done it mm-hmm. should tell you something about how difficult it is to do yeah. um this is uh argentina's nomination for best foreign feature at the academy <laughs> awards next year i have no idea whether it's actually when they make that announcement i guess they announce the awards when Do they announce the awards like january um i can't remember um and this film reeks of Oscar bait. It's like, oh, okay. come on, give us that nomination, give it a <laughs> nomination, rub it all over my fucking face, that nomination, <laughs> um, because this film's trying so hard to win to play into that safe space of where the Academy will be like, mm, "This is a very worthy film."
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ricardo
1: Darim is very good in it. Uh, he plays Julio Strassera. Um, I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong he is the lead um, prosecutor
3: okay. and
1: he doesn't have a great deal of interest in prosecuting this case because he doesn't really, he's very cynical about its chances of success. And he also realizes that if he has to do that, he would be leaning into something that is actually probably quite dangerous in the sense that mm-hmm. there are a significant, they are still men of significant means, power, and influence. Um, and would the army even allow them to be tried, you know? Um, so he's actually kind of like, please don't give me this case. Please don't give me the case. But it lands on him anyway. And he does it because it's his duty to do it. Mm. The th- Have you ever seen judgment in Nuremberg? No, it's a famous movie. Um, uh, I trying to remember exactly. Was it Stuart? Who is it? Spencer Tracy and Burt Lancaster. So. It's a great film, by the way, if you haven't seen it from 1961. This is okay. judgment at Nuremberg in Spanish. Um, if, okay. if there is a courtroom trope that this film doesn't use, I can't think of it because it uses them all. Of, okay, you know the powerful defendants versus the you know the the righteous and you know hardworking public that public mm-hmm. you know prosecutors trying to get justice for all the people. Um, it leans so hard into the tropes of a courtroom drama that right. it kind of loses sight of what really happened, if that makes sense. Like there's okay. one particular scene where there's a uh, a woman who testifies in court against the generals who talks about what happened when she gave birth um, inside um, one of the more uh, infamous prisons and Mm -hmm. how she was in the car, she was in the back of a car and they wouldn't let her hold her baby until she mopped this entire army base. Um, And this fucking horrific story about what they did to her. That's really the only moment where they sort of draw the curtain back and you can look at a real life story of somebody. I mean, I don't know if this is an actual um, testimony, but this is the only time we get a real life look at what somebody would have experienced at the hands of these criminals otherwise it's all threatening phone calls and you know people following you know the prosecutor around and you know people sorting through files and arguments between the lawyers about how they were going to do this and you know insert
0: john grisham here
1: yeah it's really cliched and it's like it's done well i mean it executes the tropes efficiently and effectively it looks good the acting's of a very high standard this film's Mm -hmm. got some good money behind it i mean don't say that um, you know, high quality productions can't be made in a country like Argentina because this one does look very, very good. Uh, okay. you know, car bombs blowing up outside the courthouse and the judges, you know, looking uh, ruling against the prosecution and you know, are they biased? Are they not biased? People following the judges around town to try and figure out what their verdict's gonna be. Cause apparently in Argentina the judges come
0: up with verdicts and restaurants that you can sit
1: outside and watch them in, you know. <laughs>
0: well, you know it's, it's like you're in the cubicle next to next to someone you just suddenly hear yes guilty <laughs> and that's that's a, a common occurrence <laughs> in my workplace
1: um <laughs> so it's pulling all these cliches out and you're like yeah okay i'm kind of entertained mm. but I'm, I'm just not really feeling a lot of the emotion that must have been there for the people mm. at the time like so i th- i'm gonna get my data and obviously the film's set in 1985 um mm. i think the dictatorship ended in 83 okay, okay. quote me on that about then. so this is maybe a year 18 months after the dictatorship's ended that they've actually put the guy on trial with well, then not the guy the guy's a whole bunch of them on trial that must have been the effect on a society. If you can imagine for a second, um, if Donald Trump had been put on trial eighteen months after he finished his alleged reign as president, you know, like for what he's the, the multitude of crimes the guy seems to have committed, um, mm. you know, like the effect on the United States society, I mean, probably would have been more severe in many ways because if mm. it already false, he didn't, you know, systematically torture his opponents. Um, but give him time. Yeah. <laughs> you know he's, he's gonna get a run again probably so you know but the effect on the, you can imagine that the turmoil in society at this, this high-ranking figure now being accused of a crime but these generals and a large portion as i understand it of society um thought that the dictatorship had been a good thing you know they are been taking care of communists and marxists and terrorists and you know that the trains mm-hmm. ran on time damn it and we can make money and you know Business was good while the dictatorship was running and stuff like that. So there's mm. none of that. There's none of his societal stuff. There's no on the streets feel of how this how this trial is viewed. There's no, you know, um, moment where you start to really realise the scale of the horror that took place under mm. their reign. It's all a bit sterile. Okay, I'm being a bit critical. It's 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 been poorly received in Argentina. I understand. Mm. Um, I watched this with uh, Michelle. And her parents, her parents are Argentine Australians. They, mm. they left uh, at the start of the just before um, the, uh, the terror, if you will, what he called the dictatorship. Um, uh, Michelle's dad, Hugo, is a very, very street smart man. Uh, and he smelled which way the wind was blowing and he got out. Um, mm. So it's fascinating to watch this with you know, this piece of history with people who I think they were, came back to, I think they're in Argentina when the trial took place. So, you know, then they were like, mm, it was okay, but it just kind of glossed over all the things that were happening in the in the country at the time. Mm. Um, you know, the, the trial was important, but it's only half a
0: story. Well, not even half, it's only a piece of a story. Do you think that it's not being received well in Argentina? Or did, did um, any of um, Michelle's family or Michelle kind of comment on because it – didn't depict the the more serious because it was kind of sanitized or because they just don't want to talk about it.
1: I think sanitized is the word. I don't think it's a case of people not wanting to talk about it. So if we go back mm. to the official story, which mm. is a much more effective and visceral uh, um uh, story about what happened under the dictatorship, dictatorship and people who were Stuck in the middle, or not stuck in the middle. But people who were seeing it for what it was about it was about a middle aged a middle class couple, a middle aged woman who was married to a doctor who was in bed with a dictatorship, slowly mm-hmm. having the the blinkers taken off her eyes and seeing the horror of it that had taken place in her country over the previous ten years or so, mm-hmm. uh, and that was made a year, not more than a year after the dictatorship ended. Which, yeah. if you can imagine, the cojones on a filmmaker. Yeah. to go out and make a film about the fact that the, the military had just murdered a whole bunch of people and were a pack of cunts. Yeah. While they were still free and very um, important and influential people mm. in society, mm. that takes balls. If nothing else, they... the as as I am not exactly a scholar of Argentine history over here, but my best I can tell, they confronted it better than a lot of other neighbours who mm-hmm. kind of said... Don't mention the war, whereas I think Argentina mm. kind of leaned into it a little bit better. So okay. I think it's mainly that it's seen as a sanitized version of what really happened. And yes, it's a nice depiction of a court case, and it's mm. a reasonably entertaining, intense film, but it doesn't really – it really just skims on the surface, if that makes sense. It's quite, so, a, quite a
0: Hollywood production in that regard.
1: <laughs> in a way, you could see this film being made for, being remade for Hollywood if they thought there was a market for it, which I doubt there is. Mm. Um, unless you could find like an angle where like there's a young American hot lawyer who's helping out, or you know something <laughs> like that, you're Tom Cruise. I don't know. I don't know why it, it is very Hollywood. Yeah, uh, it's very slick. That's what I mean. It looks good. It just mm. has a lot of its substance. It's fine for what it is. But if you have any particular interest in the topic, on and you're probably going to find it probably unsatisfying. If mm. you're just after a good courtroom drama. And you don't mind the fact it's in Spanish? Go for your life.
0: Oh, it is. Okay. There is a
1: dub version available though, as well on Prime, if you want. And you are a heathen savage. <laughs> <laughs> Never go for dub. Never go dub.
0: All right. Have we? Um, have we got a sponsor? So we do
1: have a sponsor this week, and this one's not gonna get us copyright struck, I hope. Yeah, um, yeah. WWE watches our channel, ladies and gentlemen. Not a great choice for WWE last week, apparently. Um, <laughs> no, we're going to we have a
0: specific... well, let's do WCW instead. That's fine. They own that shit too. <laughs> um, there's
1: nobody copyright struck us for the world wrestling all-stars the week before. Um, that's not a huge shock. This week's sponsor is, of course, the one. <laughs> The only, in the world of gaming, being a big game day in gaming, it is the Sega Dreamcast. Dreamcast. One of the best consoles to fail. They made some nice consoles. this <laughs> <laughs> was going to come out. It didn't work out. Oh, oh. Right.
3: there
0: this, we go. There we go.
2: Thinking oh. the fishing We got it.
3: Hi, Randy. Well, hello. It's thinking.
2: This is the day you have trained for, the day you have studied for. Utilize your superior skills. Your superior
3: Sarah, baby, oh, you were one fly. Don't make me hurt you. Learn to defeat your ruthless enemy, Steve
0: of Hackensack. Ryan, it. you're going to get rude. Shut up, quadruped. Sega
2: Dreamcast. It's thinking. You can get
3: more blood. Oh, y'all feeling the love. You can get blood. Oh, Scary what but they call me the glove. How you feelin' the night You're feeling the love. Feel the love, bro. Sonic, Sonic, Sonic.
0: Yo, Sonic, Sonic! Man, stay off the light speed! My bad. Sonic Adventure on
2: Sega Dream Cun. It's thinking
3: <laughs> Got it made, Randy. You have no idea how it was back in the Genesis days. Who couldn't think, couldn't adjust? Look what you got. My receivers couldn't do that. And our defense you'll never get beat by the same whack play over and over. You better appreciate what you got, Junior. Hey, let me go- I think Ojimbo got a hold of a bad taco. Hey, I'm a legend!
2: And I found TK on Sega Gast.
0: to a Dreamcast near you.
3: You will feel the passion of Soul Calibur. Mm.
0: Man, she's off the
3: hook.
2: <gasps> oh, perfect. Soul Calibur on Sega Dreamcast. It's thinking. Game rated E for
3: everyone we wrap around come, come on you're playing,
0: play play yeah. <laughs> I'll give you are playing will give me the four, man your mummy <laughs> is so ugly when she was born her mummy hey, <laughs> check
2: your now you look okay for a bit Uh-oh. And Shannon,
0: hello hey mummy you like hockey nhl 2k on Sega dream comes? it's thinking <laughs> No. What is it, Iverson? Son, I'm getting work done to the boys, Taka. Sure. rebound stance. Whoa! Bamboo am Need deep roots for strength.
3: Here he comes! Where'd he learn that?
2: NBA 2K on Sega Dreamcast. It's thinking. Game made a tea for team. Oh.
0: Well, there we go, ladies and gentlemen, a blast from 1999.
1: That's right. Um, never in a Dreamcast? I don't know if you did. Um, Gabe's a promise.
0: Not at, uh, not when they first came out. I did get one later on. Um, I've been a Nintendo boy for, for too long, for too, too long.
1: <laughs> uh, but, right, yes, I um.
0: I think I never actually owned a set.
1: I, I had a, like a, a Mega Drive, sorry, Genesis for our American fans uh, for a very long time. Um, I borrowed one. I never actually owned it, though.
0: Yeah. I actually had... Um, no, to actually, tell why, You know what? I had a Master System, a Mega Drive. Um, then I... After that, I think I went to the N64, and then I was Nintendo and PlayStation and now Xbox as well. And... Yeah. Yeah, you know, just play wherever I can. Bloody play. <laughs> uh, have you ever thought about getting a Steam Deck? I've been tempted. Um, I am tempted on getting uh the VR. Um, which
1: one? the uh, PlayStation or the Oculus or whatever they call it, the Meta Quest.
0: Well, this brings us on to a, a a little topic, shall we say? Um, so PlayStation VR two. Is coming out in February next year. I think. It, I think it's February, um, but it is exclusively for the PS5, which is good. It's forward, uh, forward developing, but none of the PS4 VR games are going to be backwards compatible with it because it's a completely different program set. It is not going to work. So the only reason I have got. The, really, the only reason I've got a PS5 and the only reason I've got a PSVR for Beat Saber, it is not currently announced for PSVR 2, so oh, very disappointed. Very, very disappointed. Have you had a play with it yet? Have you seen it in action? Uh, the, the VR 2? Yeah. Uh, no, only the um, concept videos that they announced a couple of months ago. And I never, ever, ever trust concept videos, for, especially for VR, because it's like, no, you're, you're showing me a two D image. It's it's, it's not going. Are show there me games
1: me. in particular you're looking forward to playing on PS VR too?
0: Uh, well, the only one that they're really pushing at the moment is they're doing a virtual reality um, additional story. I don't think it's a remake of Horizon. Uh, um, Zero Dawn, and it's certainly not Horizon Forbidden West, but there is a Horizon VR game. It looks good, but it's just video at the moment. I haven't seen anyone actually playing it. Um, it is still wired, which is mildly annoying, but it's. Is... We'll see... Next time
1: you come around here, you should try My Quest. Ooh, yes. I would like because, that. Because, like, I don't know. Look, I mean, PlayStation has the advantage of. A wider library of games, potentially, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, though you know, will are they any good? We don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas at least I guess the Quest has been running for a few years now, and you kind of have a better idea about what you can get. Yeah, yeah. And I'm kind of going and going. I hope the um, Horizon
0: West or whatever it is is a good game, you know. Mm. Um, because because the your one that that pairs up with Steam, right? No. Oh, no. Which one's that one? Is that the, the Facebook one, then? My, I have
1: the Facebook one. The Quest yeah, is the yeah. Meta. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Sorry, Meta. Um, uh, so, uh, it would be nice if it played up with Steam.
0: Exactly, yeah. That's that's why I think it's HTC Vive that does go with Steam, because... Yeah, you're right. That's, that's it, yeah. 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 Um, um, and I, I don't even I know, know I if it's would... available in this country. I think you can get it, but if something goes wrong, support is not great because this is Australia, and technologically we are borderline third world country. I mean, technically the Steam Deck's not available here. You cannot have it shipped
1: here from Steam itself. I mean, there are ways around it. I know some yes. people who have one, but you know, like if you're going to open that, why don't you sell it to me? My money's fucking United States. I swear to God. I remember mm. one time I was in the states and I rang up to pay for something while I was in the country, and it was getting a extra credit on my phone. They had an oh, American yeah. card. And I gave them a credit card and they're like, sorry, we can't accept that card. It's a foreign card. And you're like, so? Fucking what? Money is money, right? But they wouldn't yeah. take it. You amount of places wow. that wouldn't take a foreign American Express card. It was astounding in that country. Um, but your name
0: is literally on it. <laughs> it's. Mm. It's. I, I kind of. I really love um, VR. I love the concept and the notion and the idea of VR, but I still think that beyond experiential things, we haven't got a narrative or should we say campaign story driven. Um, they, they haven't figured it out yet.
1: We haven't no. got a killer app. I mean, I was reading a story today about the metaverse and they of crazy money that Facebook is sinking into it. Uh, sorry, meta. Are sinking into it, mm-hmm. and apparently, I mean, the story's been going around for a few weeks that nobody's on there. Yeah, that was the article I read today. Was this guy checked it out and he went around? He's like, it was compared to the Fallout because there was no one, no one anywhere it was like a wasteland uh, <laughs> of places. And like, so, um, I don't think Facebook ever figured out. And they're like, oh, people are going to use it for work. I'm like, fuck off they are. Like, mm. I, I, don't, I don't see why I would. Um, I work from home a lot and I don't need to see my teammates' as avatars like
0: it's Yeah I I don't uh, like I've had a few conversations with people where it's like really you but we we managed to shift so many people who work in offices to work from home comfortably now you're trying to get us back into the offices why oh oh you're also trying to get us into virtual offices why I mean what is I the can- purpose I can see some benefits of
1: maybe having some signs of meetings. If everybody had a headset, you could sort of do maybe product demos or something like that in Hmm. in an interesting way. But I I wouldn't want to wear one for more than an hour, hour and a half at a time. They get heavy and they haven't figured it out yet.
0: And That's that's, that's the other thing. You just know it's like, okay, we're going to have a a team meeting. It's just going to be that everyone's got their Instead on <laughs> just you're gonna be looking at like the the Teams or um, Skype thing with all of the different windows. <laughs> just, there's gonna be random people that's gonna look down at their crotch and things like that. <laughs> that's what's gonna happen. People are gonna get bored and start looking around, or they're gonna start trying to break the physics of the game. <laughs> it's, I'm it's, I'm kind of
3: down for that.
0: I'm I i do not know what's going on.
1: I it's like it's. Look, it's, it's uh... It looked cool in Ready Player One, but I don't think I want to live in that world. Yeah. Uh, should we move on now?
0: Yeah, let's move on. Let's move on. What should we talk about now? I would like to talk about Bros. Bros. Okay. What okay. is Bros? Bros is a new romantic
1: comedy uh, written and starring Billy Eichner. Uh, Billy Eichner, I believe, is uh, probably best known as a uh, comedian. Uh, okay. He would also be familiar. He's done a lot of TV shows, Park and Rec, American Horror Story. Um, he's done voices on some voice acting on Bob's Burgers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's done a few films as well. He was in did a voice in the new Lion King movie. Um, but I, I think he's best known for his stand up stuff, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um, and he's also. Probably an openly gay. Okay. And this is a gay romantic comedy, to use that term, and an, an okay. LGBT film, if you will, and basically a stock standard rom com, with the twist being that the protagonist is gay, okay. openly so. Mm. Um, two men with commitment problems attempt a relationship. That's not much of a synopsis, but uh, that's what we have. Mm. Um, so we have Billy Eichner starring as Bobby. Uh, Mm -hmm. Bobby is a very cynical, uh, single gay man who's kind of at that point in his life. I'm giving up on relationships that don't work, I'm not Mm. a relationship guy, you know. And we see him just using Tinder, so Tinder Grinder for um, incredibly impersonal uh, hookups with Mm. other guys, which are in and out and over in like half an hour kind of things. It's like. I just said uh, Michelle and I watching. I was like, "My God!" Like literally, he walks in the door, and the guys like take your shirt off, and they go in the bedroom and get to down to action. Like the minute he walks into the other guy's apartment, I'm like, "I wonder if grinded dates are really like that." And apparently, word on the street is that's not uncommon in the yeah. uh, in the um the, uh, the gay community. Uh, okay, uh, you're like, okay, fair enough. It
0: mm. seems
1: pretty unsatisfying. Uh, um, where's the sport? <laughs> Um he works for uh he's got a job as like the CEO director of an LGBT history museum in New York, uh, mm-hmm. where I think he actually he's part of a council that runs the museum and is trying to put together the final exhibit before they open and raise the last five million dollars they owe, they need to raise mm-hmm. to get the um the place open. And these are the most entertaining scenes in the film are uh, with the council who runs the uh the, the history museum uh who are robert played by jim rash who you probably best know from community um and angela played by ts madison uh dot marie jo- cherry played by dot marie jones tamara played by eve lindley and wanda played by miss lawrence um and they are just hilarious you probably might if you've seen the trailer you might have seen some of the some of the repartee that goes on where like jim rash is like by the way, this is uh, by uh, by um, awareness week, and nobody has said anything to me. And uh, Sharon would be like, "Well, you know, March was uh, Lesbian History Month, and nobody said a word." And she's like, "Oh, of course, you guys get a month, and we get a week." Um, <laughs> uh, and, and I really like that interplay between the um, between the different members of, of, that, of the LGBT family. You know what I mean? It's, a, it's interesting how they're always kind of lumped in together as one.
3: Conglomerate
1: mm. group of people where they are of course crazily individuals and mm. incredibly diverse individuals if you just think about what each of the letters in you know the the lgbt a you know lgbt plus whatever you want to say it um yeah but each of those stands for right they have a very different experience lived experience and you know different priorities and different ideas about things and um it's so it's hilarious to see them all bouncing off each other in these council meetings uh it almost sounds like a
0: comic parody of the the scene from thank you for smoking where all of the industry heads are talking about how many people their industry has killed and stuff yeah, yeah
1: that was funny um it's a little bit like that it's, it's it not you know it's dark um no. <laughs> it's hilarious to see this kind of comedy because again they're so often and they just sort of portrayed as i said just conglomerate this, black box Mm. of the lgbt community whereas like i said they're all very different have different experiences and there would be regular disagreements between them and they're very funny um Mm. billy eitner uh, so bobby meets a character at a party called aaron who he thinks is uh he's been told is boring and he thinks is way too hot to be interested in him uh turns out they are interested in each other he's interested in and we sort of follow the path of their relationship as it develops and you know, the pitfalls and the natives and then the, you know, the resurrection and where it all ends up. Mm. Um, Billy Eichner's Bobby has is an interesting character and in he has a lot of hang-ups about himself physically, about whether he's actually attractive and whether someone as, as superficially attractive as Aaron could possibly be interested in him. Mm. And that's interesting from a male character in a film. You don't often see a male character portrayed having those Mm. kind of insecurities Um, Mm. in a romantic comedy, especially. I can't think of too many off the top of my head who play that way. If there's a character with insecurities, it's probably
0: usually the female character. The only one that I can think of is uh, the um, J. Shell movie. uh, She's out of the league. Mm, That was an interesting one. I liked
1: that film good point that that was probably the only one I can think of Mm -hmm. similar vibe here very similar vibe but um it is interesting that that to see that played out here um Billy Eichner is really good in this he's really funny he's Mm -hmm. you know cynical he's sarcastic um he you know he looks down on a lot of gay societies like people in this street community think gay people are smart but we're not there are a lot of really fucking stupid people in the gay community and he's really cynical about the other members of the gay community and how stupid they all are and <laughs> how, you know, that stereotypical, you know, take your shirt off and, you know, dance to gay, to really loud. To the, you know, every, the scene in um The Simpsons where Homer takes Bart to the, uh, he's like, "Gay, why did you take me to a gay, dad, why did you take me to a gay steel mill? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like um, that kind of thing. He would look down on that kind of part, that kind of, part of, of of gay culture, I think. Um, Mm. and I guess it helps it, you know, he wrote it. Um, he gets like the best lines in the film. Mm -hmm. Um, and most of the laughs either include him or the council I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. The the director, uh, is, uh, Nicholas Stoller who co-wrote it as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, specializes in this kind of fluff. Uh, hmm. He directed a few different so getting Sarah Marshall, he did the... Eddie the Mar- Greek, yeah. Neighbors, you know, Neighbors 2. Um, this is in his wheelhouse. Hmm. And he does it competently. Where the film falls down is, again, a little bit like I've seen in 1975, uh, is it really doesn't highlight the crimes of the Argentinian dictatorship during the 70s and 80s. None of that's mentioned in this film. Um. um it is disappointing, but no, I was expecting. No, just kidding. Um, what it does, it just it deals in tropes. It's yeah. its format is there's a formula for writing rom coms, and it follows mm-hmm. it to the letter. As mm-hmm. um, like I said, the only interesting angle on this is is the sort of the fact that the explores an LGBT relationship in mm-hmm. a fairly straightforward, straight ahead, run of the mill rom com formula. The other yeah. part that really fails it is some of the casting. Okay. Mainly the casting of Aaron, who spends a lot of time on screen opposite Bobby. Now, mm-hmm. I think Billy Eichner actually could be a big star. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's got a lot of charisma on screen. The camera likes him. He's got great comic timing. He's very funny. It just goes to be seen whether or not they can find roles for him in that mm-hmm. are you know, suitable. I can't see him as an action hero, but that would mm-hmm. be interesting. Um, Aaron, uh, played by Luke McFarlane, who I've never heard of. Uh, is significantly less effective in his role. So if I'm looking at his um, his uh, a CV, I see a lot of, a lot of Chris- at least two Christmas movies: A like Christmas in My Heart, A Chateau Christmas, Magical Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. Village. Uh, <laughs> uh, at least one <laughs> Valentine's Day movie. Um, he's done a lot of TV, uh, yeah. and for him to be co-star in a fairly biggish um, uh, motion picture is a bit of a step mm. up for him. Um, and I don't think he pulls it off for me. Mm. Uh, he can't keep up with, with, with Billy Eichner. So I think really great rom-coms. If you think of something like When Harry Met Sally or, um, I don't know, Sleepless in Seattle, if you like that one, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan or Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan have this incredible repartee in chemistry on screen mm. together. Mm. Um, it's when they work really well. You know, it really comes down yeah. to how well do these two do you want to watch these stars? Do you want to watch them get together? How do you you know is there, we talked about it a while ago with um uh my fake fiance. Um oh, yeah. <laughs> uh a breed of a teenage witch and the guy off Blossom. Um <laughs> that's, how, that's how memorable it was. I can't remember the stars' names. It's Mr. A joke and Joey Lawrence? Yes. Um, and despite that film being a stinking turd of a film and, like, a terrible script, those guys had such great chemistry, they, they kept it afloat. Yeah. You know, you enjoyed watching them together on screen. Mm. This is like watching Billy Eichner acting opposite you know, Han Solo frozen carbonite. That's how much, <laughs> how much charisma Luke McFarlane's Aaron has. Like, he, has, he is like a handsome plank of wood. That's a shame. And the only thing I can think of here is... Uh, maybe I'm assuming I don't know. Uh, I'm going to assume here that Luke McFarlane is also gay,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, in the sense that in today's world, I don't know that it's okay to cast a straight actor as a gay actor anymore. And this film goes out of its way to take the piss out of gay cowboy films where mm-hmm. straight actors play gay just to win an Oscar. I can make jokes about that on a number of occasions and about how depressing those gay cowboy movies are.
0: Mm. Um,
1: and so I'm guessing he also probably uh, is gay. And maybe that's why they've cast him in this role when he isn't really, I don't know, a star of the same calibre as Billy Eichner, who is, if you don't know who I'm talking about, Google him, you'll know his face. Um, I've seen him around the place. So, yeah. I'm guessing is that maybe that's it? I don't know. There are a lot of openly gay leading men in Hollywood. Um,
0: not certainly not that command, um, the big ten movies. I mean, like, I think Luke Evans is gay, um, and he's possibly one of the, the biggest, um. What's his name? Uh, Rupert Friend? Is it? Is it Rupert Friend? Maybe. There's someone else. Someone. Uh, there were those two. I think were both in contention for James Bond at some point, but um, their sexual preference hindered them or something. There was a debate about it like fifteen years ago. I um,
1: look. That's probably the film's weak mm. point for me because, like, I think it's mm. well written. It's funny. It's light. It's enjoyable. Um, if you want to go see, if you want to see a rom com on Saturday night, and you, if you don't want to watch something like Argentina nineteen seventy five or a Pawnbroker, this would be actually really good fare. Um, this is a nice leave your brain at home material. You don't have to think too hard about it. I, I would recommend it for that. But I, I just, I just felt like that 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 the, the one of the key elements of a rom com didn't come to pl- come to fore because. I just hmm. think his co-star was a bit flat. Okay. I mean, it's fine. Uh, it made the news a couple of weeks ago because it hasn't done good business at the box office overseas. Mm. And I think Billy Arknock basically says because the straight people didn't come out. And maybe he's right. <laughs> I don't know. I also think it's a really shit name for a, for a rom-com. Like, it basically of sounds good.
0: like it should be... When you hear bros, and especially... Um, yeah, you know, is a, about boy meets bro. That sounds like the name and tagline of a Seth Rogan comedy.
1: Yeah, it should be like mates about two guys who become like like that um you know, you know that film with um Philip Seymour Hoffman and um, Jason Siegel was about guy friends. I can't remember what it was called, it was bromance oh, yeah. films, yeah. Um I love you man. Yeah.
0: Something like that. Uh, but- not Philip Seymour Hoffman, that was um yeah we run. Right. Uh, but I think Kelsey Mahofen was in it. Uh, don't quote me
1: anyway. Um, but that's kind of feels like what it should be like, you know, like we bros, yeah. man. And it kind of fits with the actual nature of the film in the end. But again, mm. we always say if I'm lining up to see a film on a Saturday night, you know, I don't want to see. You know, I also could think it's about the band from the 80s, you know. Um, <laughs> uh... <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah luke luke goss is an actor but um yeah. yeah so i don't know it didn't quite stick the landing in some ways but it's still thoroughly watchable okay
0: can i pivot to a
1: better romantic comedy yes now is this always be my maybe
0: yes yeah i have seen this one too
1: um, this is the first time I've seen it. It was recommended to me by Michelle, and it was also recommended mm-hmm. to me while we were watching um, one that I'll talk about next week. going to We've actually watched the first two episodes of Blockbuster on oh, Netflix. Yes. I won't go too deep into my thoughts about it yet, because maybe you might want to watch a couple episodes too. And we can I do right. that rare thing we've actually watched the same fucking thing for a change. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and Randall Park is in that. Yes. And Randall Park is in this. Uh, And it got me looking at his uh, resume going, huh, this is an interesting one. And it's also uh, an interesting role for one of Hollywood's biggest names. He turns up halfway through the film. Mm -hmm. Always be my maybe. Everyone has seen that Sasha and Marcus would wind up together, except for Sasha and Marcus. Reconnecting after 15 years, the two start to wonder maybe. Uh, Mm. Starring Ali Wong, Randall Park. uh, Ali Wong, again, another very successful American stand-up comedian, mm-hmm. um, Birds of Prey she was in, uh, and a lot That's of right. te- television stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've seen a whole lot of her stuff, but um, uh, I'm told a very funny and successful stand-up comedian, Randall Parks, mm-hmm. I just mentioned, is in Blockbuster. He was in Fresher for Boat. Probably most memorably, he is in the uh, MCU as Jimmy Woo. Uh, yes. In WandaVision and the Ant Man films. Yes. I remember when the WandaVision came out, everyone was like, I want to see uh, Jimmy Woo and what if it's someone else, uh, Kat, Kat uh, Denning, uh, Darcy. Like,
3: yeah.
1: Darcy doing like X File style stuff. And I'm like, fuck yes, make that happen, Disney. There's my mm-hmm. second complaint for Disney Plus today. Why haven't that? <laughs> that would be good. That would be a lot better than most of a direct you've pumped out. Anyway, yeah. they, are, are, they know each other as kids. Uh, they mm-hmm. kind of grew up in the same neighborhood. And uh, Sasha's parents are genuinely absent parents in the sense they're running a restaurant. And she's what we in the 90s would have called a latchkey kid. She comes home, and lets herself in. Um, mm-hmm. And Anne spends a lot of time with, um, uh, with Marcus and his family ends up like learning how to cook from uh, Marcus's mother um, and they sort of grow up as best friends. We mm. cut forward to seeing him as teenagers um, and um, Marcus's mother passes away when he's in his teens. Mm. And it's a massive loss for Sasha as well because she was kind of a surrogate mother to her. Mm. They end up having a brief romance as teenagers, uh, subsequent to which uh, Marcus completely screws the pooch with her and yep. that's it they basically don't see each other again for years so. well for 15 years and we cut to 15 years later uh marcus is living with his dad working with his dad installing air conditioners or something like that um whereas ali wong sasha has gone on to you know become a very successful celebrity chef often using some of the stuff she learned from marcus's mother Yeah, Um, She comes back to San Francisco to open a restaurant there um, and ends up uh, living in a rented house for a little while at which uh, Marcus and his dad, Harry, come along to fix the air conditioning. And lo and behold, they bump into each other. Oh, my God. It's been, you know, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: uh, been such a long time. In fact, the whole meeting is uh, uh, engineered by uh, Sasha's best friend and assistant, uh, Veronica, played by Michelle Boutal. Um, who again is one of those faces you go, I have seen you in things, yeah. I couldn't tell you exactly what. Nope. Um, but <laughs> she has so she was in clerk three, that's why I know her. Um, that would explain it. Um, wow. and their relationship sort of goes from there, and it just sort of be, again, it goes through a lot of those romantic comedy tropes, uh, mm. you know. but the Rick Kinling, oh, we don't like each other. Oh, he fucks it up again. Maybe it's going well. Actually, it's not going well. And then for resolution.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the, the real uh, charm to this film, and it's a 6.89 dB, which is very low because this is a very good film. Yeah. Um, and we've talked before and recently about how a lot of the best stuff that's been done in American cinema is Asian American cinema. Yes. Add this to the pile because Mm -hmm. this is almost a straight-out Asian-American cast, Mm -hmm. Um, except for the cameo of the century so far. (laughs) At one point, uh, after spending some time in San Francisco, Sasha meets and starts dating the one and only Keanu Reeves, who plays the role of Keanu Reeves. Yes. And it is fucking, he's outstanding in this film, like, if anybody mm-hmm. ever tries to tell you Keanu can't do comedy anymore, like, yes, he hey, you're forgetting about the fact he started out doing comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is so fucking good as himself in this film. He plays a really entitled, arrogant mm-hmm. douchebag character in the yeah. most hilarious way
0: possible. Mm-hmm. Um, every single he- Every single bit of him is just a mockery of kind of that pompous piety of celebrity and it's it's made more funny because everyone has seen and knows what keanu reeves is actually like in the real world where he sort of rides the rides the bus and things like that and he's, he's very 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 down to earth so seeing him <laughs> like the um the combat fight sequence thing. <laughs> it's so absurd. It's it's just delicious to watch. It's it's just entertainment, pure and it's, simple. It's it's
1: really gold, like uh mm-hmm. from eating in this the most pretentious restaurant you've ever been to in your entire life, where he only rocks up with glasses with no lenses in them because they're <laughs> four apart and you know, um then he gets invites him back to his apartment and the whole time he's kind of rubbing the fact that he's sleeping with Sasha. In Marcus's mm-hmm. face, and Marcus's girlfriend Jenny is there as well, and you can see she's completely in love with uh, and overcome with mm-hmm. Starstruck over with Keanu, and it's it's glorious to see it play out. Uh, and yeah. as you say, it all ends up in a in combat, a fight sequence in Keanu's apartment where uh, he punches <laughs> him in the face and. Then he, they end up leaving. And what and if you want to, I think the, the conclusion of that scene is perfect as well, is they're in an Uber have it, getting it on, uh, Sasha and Marcus making out in the back of an Uber, and the camera pans forward, and there's someone else in the front seat, and it's an Uber pool. Uh, and they're like, did Keanu <laughs> actually deliberately order us a Keanu pool? A Ke, a Ke, sorry, yeah, no, an Uber pool. <laughs> pool. <laughs> um, but it's like, it's so good. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't do anything particularly new with for formula. You've seen this film before. Mm-hmm. Um, but every part of it is fun. It's beautifully written. Uh, Randall Park, and Ali Wong, and Michael Golikomo, uh, Golanko, Golanko um, who hasn't done a whole lot of other things um, for me. If he did Grimm, which I think you're a fan of. Oh, yeah. Um, is but if this, is, if this is one of the best rom-coms I've seen, probably since The Big Sick, uh, mainly because they people forget the com part of rom com. It's funny, mm-hmm. uh, and just to come to come back to my point again, what I was talking about earlier, Ali Wong and Randall Park work perfectly on yes. screen together. There's incredible Absolutely. chemistry between the two of them. They bounce off each other so beautifully. They look like they're having a great time. They mm-hmm. work wonderfully well. So the chemistry between the stars really helps make this um, a fantastic little film. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's on uh, Netflix in Australia. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's another another tick in the box for Netflix. Finally, of good solid movie. Um, I actually remember watching this because this is from 2019, um, and I think I watched it when it first came out, and I was surprised. And it's like, oh, that wasn't a bad Netflix movie. Wait, what? And just. I I rewatched it again a couple of days afterwards just kind of going that stuck with me for some reason and it was because it was actually funny and that seems to be one of the, the big things that people forget in comedy movies now is actually make it funny and they are funny, and it is because of that um, that chemistry between the two. Maybe it was just them sitting down and just smashing out a script, just to go. You know what? No one's making movies. We want to fucking make, so let's make our own. And they just nailed it to the point where they they turn they turned trash into into treasure. But it, it, there's something so pure hearted about it as well this the simplicity of it and the the fact that the family element of it's not um uh get, get the character names again uh marcus or sasha's parent um parents that are on screen it is the the connection of that parent that that kindred connection that is the the kind of heart of it and the sweetness and innocence in many ways of um the evolution of a relationship it just plays honestly
1: it feels legit i mean and i guess Mm. the other part that i liked about it was instead of it being like you know marcus is the loser here he's not the successful one he's the stoner with a band who he refuses to audition for pubs on the other side of town uh, yeah. even though they might actually be good uh,
0: yeah
1: uh, you know he's stuck failure to launch you know rest of development kind of character
0: we, we, we don't we don't mention failure to launch <laughs>
1: <laughs> well i think it's an interesting idea if it was a bad film um <laughs> you know like it's kind of he's stuck in his where he grew up and he's looking for excuses mm-hmm. not to move on whereas Sasha yeah. moved on years ago and yeah. and for once it's kind of like her kind of kind of coax him out hey you know look i'm fucking successful i'm gonna go and do me and you gotta catch with me and that's an interesting angle for these sort of films
0: very true very true it's another it's another one like um what you were saying before um for uh what was it we were talking about um i can't remember now but um that that gender role reversal and actually using it to tell a compelling story It's amazing what happens when you actually go, you know what? We are gonna do something that is socially conscious and we're gonna make it interesting. We're gonna utilize that to inform our story and and heighten the characters in our story. I don't even know we
1: call it socially conscious. It's just a case of the Asian American community is Mm. I don't know, a couple of hundred years old now, if you don't count you ever been Chinese people in the United States for probably that long. A bit like these people, Asian Australians, like they've been in Australia for 150 years, guys. Um, (laughs) So, this is a well-developed community, especially on the West Coast. Um, You know, I I mean, San Francisco has the world's oldest Chinatown, Um, and uh, this community has traditions and stories, and you know, uh, there's a lot of funny stuff. There's a lot of great stories, a lot of great material in there to pull a movie together with, and. It's fantastic that we're finally getting a chance to do it. Uh mm. and now I think that's the idea is bros was trying to go for, right? It's like there are some fantastic stories and characters in the LGBT community. Didn't quite
0: pull it off as well as this did. Yeah, but I appreciate the try. <laughs> yeah, I I think so. I I um I enjoyed this. I'm I'm gonna go back and watch it again because I I like it. <laughs> now for something completely different. <gasps>
1: Uh and I'm going this is my last one for tonight if anyone's mm-hmm. watching the clock. The weird, the Al Yankovic story. Mm-hmm. I saw it last night and I am not ashamed to say I torrented the whole fucking thing. Because I don't know if you saw the tweet from our with our Yankovic earlier in the week. Someone actually asked <laughs> him and said, How can I watch this in Australia? Because this is on the Roku channel mm-hmm. i do not even know what the fucking is like certainly not available mm-hmm. here uh nope. and uh al said well we're, roku are working on it in the meantime you know vpn you know some, something else but basically i'm sure you have a torrent of other questions but i don't have mm. time to answer them um <laughs> so you know it, it doesn't sound like it's going to be legally available here mm. any i do soon.
0: find that particular thing funny considering one of his parody songs is please don't uh download this song illegally <laughs> Uh, explores
1: every facet of Yankovic's life, from his meteoric rise to fame, with early hits like Eat It and Like a Surgeon, to his torrid celebrity love affairs, a famously depraved lifestyle. This is a very, very unusual film, in mm-hmm. the sense. It's parodying an entire genre of films, mm. yet it's about a parody artist, so it's very meta. It works on many layers. It, it, uh, it's
0: parody it's serious
1: <laughs> it's it is it plays the whole film with a very straight bat mm. it plays it very seriously it plays like it's a real oscar bait biopic mm. you know you know the ones uh walk the line ray rocket man mm. So know sort of about a music artist um you know, it's a Bohemian Rhapsody. It's a very serious film about a very serious artist who deserves to have a film made about him. Mm-hmm. It. But it's utterly ridiculous. It's utterly ridiculous. Um, that Weird is played by Daniel Radcliffe in his film where a number of other cameos and reasonably well-known people pop up. Mm-hmm. Adrian Bader plays the narrator. Uh, Lynn Mawell Miranda has a quick cameo as a doctor. Uh, Rain mm-hmm. Wilson plays Dr. Demento. Julianne Nicholson plays his mother. If you don't know who that is, don't worry, neither did I, but look at her picture. I was looking at the whole film going, fuck, I've seen her in things. Um, she'll be a face you recognize. I think she was on Law and Order or something. Um, Toby Huss from Holton Catch Fire. Um, and probably uh, the highlight of her film was Evan Rachel Wood, who plays hmm. Madonna. Okay. <laughs> um and so the film isn't really about weirdo yankovic but it pretends it's about weirdo yankovic if okay. that makes sense like it's obviously <laughs> the only character who is Weird weirdo and it tells his life story as if it's telling his life story but that's not his life story <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like he there are parts of it that are based on reality like he did by his first piano accordion off a door-to-door salesman. But I really doubt his dad beat the everlasting shit out of the salesman for bringing an accordion into his home. Um, <laughs> uh, I do know that he wrote, some of He recorded his first ever song, My Bologna, in mm-hmm. uh, one of his early songs. He actually recorded it in a toilet. Um, but, you know, I don't believe that he ever single-handedly took on a Colombian death squad and uh, killed, uh, you know, Colombian drug gangsters. Um, <laughs> look, I mean, I could be wrong. Who knows? It's the, the man behind the, uh, the laughs, um, Pablo Escobar, that's a guy. I'm pretty sure he didn't kill Pablo Escobar, but, you know, the film might tell you differently.
0: Uh, you just believe in what, uh, you know, what the papers want you to believe.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Um he i you know is familiar with Madonna potentially mm-hmm. you might even say on f- friendly terms mm-hmm. isn't it i believe she actually requested recommended he cover like a virgin mm. um but i'm pretty sure he didn't have a torrid love affair with madonna uh, and Never i'm pretty really sure madonna, madonna didn't go on to replace Pablo Escobar was the head of the Colombian drug cartel and later had Weird Al Yankovic assassinated. Uh, you know. <laughs> so that's what I'm talking about here. And this is a laugh out loud, hilarious parody of super serious uh, Oscar bait um, biopics. And it's done gorgeously. Uh, the music is obviously Weird Al's um Mm -hmm. daniel radcliffe gives a note perfect performance Mm -hmm. in the sense of like he's funny but he doesn't look like he's trying to be funny if that makes sense like he's playing Mm -hmm. it straight and that's what makes it funny Mm -hmm. um and he looks the part. he looks ridiculous as weird l which is exactly the way it should be uh Mm -hmm. daniel radcliffe's perfect choice and every rachel wood absolutely fucking nails madonna like not in a literal sense, obviously. Um, but, she, you know, uh, Madonna, <laughs> she's an open-minded person. I'm sure. Um, yep. absolutely gets the voice, right. She gets mm-hmm. the look, right. The attitude. And I work this with Michelle, Madonna, super fan, who, mm. uh, is pointing out a number of uh, references that she was like, Oh, when she says that it's actually a reference to this or a reference to that. Um, Also noticed a flaw in the film, in a sense, in one particular performance in the mid '80s, uh, there were of like a surgeon. Some of the dancers were wearing those Madonna cone bras. It's like actually they didn't come about until the Blonde Ambition tour in 1990, so he wouldn't have had those dancers the time of like a surgeon. I'm like, okay, Um, it was it was an education on all things Madonna for me. (laughs) Um, I can't recommend this film highly enough. It is ridiculous, as very, very silly and ridiculous film, mm-hmm. but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It it cool. just doesn't take itself. It takes itself very seriously by not taking itself seriously at all. I I know that feels like it makes no sense at all, but that's probably the best way I can describe it. It's. Mm. I mean, my I think my favorite scene might have been Doctor Demento brings um, at Weird Al. Dr. Demento was a radio host, by the way, in the United States, a very popular radio host who played, like, novelty records and stuff and was the actual person uh, who discovered and made Weird Al famous. Hmm. Um, he hosts uh, a pool party, and the people at this pool party are like Andy Warhol, Salvador Dali, um, the, gu- uh, the guys from Devo are there, Frank Zappa's there, uh, Grace okay. Jones, Divine. Um and then uh, out of the crowds, they're like, uh, Jack Black in a great cameo as Wolfman Jack, who I think is supposed to be a radio DJ as well. It says, okay. I challenge you. If you're so good. If you're, if you're the future of music, why don't you write a parody song right here, right now? And goes, what song should I parody? And someone goes, oh, what about Another One Bites of Dust? And this guy sort of walks out of a crowd. And it's uh, David Dasmalchian. He's the Pokemon oh, yeah. man. And, yeah. Uh, I, in in um what was it? And he's like, I'm John Deacon. And everybody says this look around. And Michelle's like, Who's that? And it's almost like the film knows you have no idea who John Deacon is. He goes, I'm in I mean Queen. I, I played this for Queen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the film is so self aware and knowing that you don't fucking know who John Deacon is, despite the fact John Deacon actually wrote Who Another One Bites the Dust. Mm. Um, which later becomes another one rides the bus. Um, <laughs> so um, check it out. Download a copy because if I if was to be believed, it's not going to land here anytime soon. Mm. It's not going to cost you anything. And I think it might be the funniest film
0: I've seen this year. Ooh. Okay. Good to know. All right. Well, I am going to round off the show with my last movie of the week, which is Enola Holmes 2. As soon as I saw this pop up on Netflix, I'm like, money on. He watched that. <laughs> well, I watched the first one. And I like Sherlock Holmes. And you really didn't like the French. first one that much, show, sure, I think. I, I, I enjoyed it. It was a good start. Um, and this straight away, straight off the bat, you do very quickly get the feeling okay, they've everyone involved is more secure and confident in what they're doing. Um, Millie Bobby Brown is much, uh, she is developing her acting skills from when she broke onto the scene in Stranger Things. Um, and she has continued to just fine tune her performance and she's getting better at that subtlety of comedy um, with a bit more of that series she's she's riding the wave of a scene better um henry cavill is actually really kind of fun as sherlock holmes and in this one we see less of the or a little less of the pompous nature of most Sherlock Holmes in versions that we see he's you know with the first time we see him he's drunk in the street because he was having a an argument with someone about whose wine was whose and um we see him in a bit of a disheveled state almost not to the point of how Robert Downey Jr portrayed him in his Sherlock Holmes movies um but we just get that nice little bit of he's like a single bachelor living on his own and he's a, he's a bit of a trash panda and the fact that we now have that kind of thing with a younger sibling or a ward um it it just kind of works and it's another one of the, the 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 real nice thing about this this story is it continues in a very in a in a more subtle but stronger way of being more aware of the times of Sherlock Holmes with the the suffragette movement for one thing and kind of bringing that a little bit into relevance of modern day society of the the sexual imbalance in society and it's it's doing it much better We've got Helena Bottom Carter reprising her, reprising her role as, um, as their mother, and she is just having fun. Like when, when she was Bellatrix the Strange, cackling with joy and spinning around and doing all of this stuff, you see her in that same kind of mild mania, but you, you root for her because she's fighting for women's suffrage. And um, the liberation of uh, the the women from the oppressive boot of man, essentially. And it it actually does it very, very well. Everything about this story is just, like I say, a step up. And I think this is a good good continuation for a franchise. Um, I think that uh, the director, Harry Bradbeer, um, he... Uh, he did the first one. He also directed Fleabag and Killing Eve, so he's got um, he's got some success behind him already. Um, but I think this is something that is going to help him become much more palatable as a director to hire for. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets offered like an MCU gig or a DC movie gig um, because he's doing the things in the that the, the the big blockbuster movies like to do, but he's doing it on. It's obvious that this doesn't have a $200 million budget like those sorts of things, but he's still bringing together a top quality, well-finished, well-presented film on time, probably on budget as well as just going, yes, we've got a, a fun, compelling female lead with a social comment that is being portrayed rather well. We've got good quality action. We've got a bit of the romance going on as well. It's ticking a lot of boxes. So this is a kind of a good CV filler series. But he's much like what we've said about the first two Ant-Man movies, is how they were solid and they just kind of, yep, we know what movie we want to make. And they succeeded in that. They didn't try to... Change the way of cinema or anything like that. That's that's what these these Arnold Holmes movies are doing. And unlike um, last week's heinous School for Good and Evil, this is just a better better produced thing. Everyone is enjoying themselves very clearly for one thing, and. You gotta feel like it's actually better interpretation and representation of the source material that is coming that it's coming from. So I'm really surprisingly enjoying this little franchise. I don't entirely know why, but it's just doing everything that it wants to do, and it's doing it, it well. And you're enjoying the charm
1: of someone like Millie Bobby Brown, who really definitely he has star at star quality
0: yes yes um it has got th- it, that uh, she does break the fourth wall where she just looks at the camera and starts talking like there's a bit where she is um kind of it's suggested that she's subconsciously gone to the a park where she's gonna see a, a young lord that she saved in the first movie and now she's got a bit of a, a bit of a thing for um and he's walking away and she just looks at the camera and like is, is he looking back and you see him turn around and look and then walk away and then she looks it's like oh no he didn't good so it, there is that that little fourth wall break but it's endearing it's not done and you don't kind of look at it and think oh, that's cheesy a la she-hulk and it's not over and um it's not the same kind of fourth wall breaking as deadpool has this is just an interesting quirk of the of the character and um the the style of movie that they want to present and it just just kind of works
1: Does it that's, that's it. good news yeah yeah I mean, so, I, I
0: we'll get another one
1: well i mean if she wants millie bobby brown's kind of a big star now mm. uh henry cavill big question if um he has the time mm-hmm. uh, now he's not doing the witcher anymore right he's a uh, had some sort of falling out for producers and doesn't want to do it. Now it's going to be a, a discount Hemsworth.
0: Discount Hemsworth. But um, if, uh, if rumours are to be believed and the biggest news of the last week with um, uh, Mr. Gunn coming in and taking over as the, the creative lead for DC Films, we may see him come back as Superman. We well, that's the word of his
1: treaties, he's back with Superman and Affleck signed back on as well. So,
0: bullshit. that's the word,
1: okay? Okay, that's the word,
0: restore the Snyderverse, um, um, my, let it die, <laughs> kill the past. <laughs> but yeah, and all the homes, too. Great success. It's um, not offensive or bloody in any particularly overt, disgusting way. So this is definitely a quality, top quality PG thirteen movie. That if you've got kids, or you just want something nice and comfortable to just have in the background while you're you're doing other things, this is a great movie for that. You're kind of kept. You can easily keep up with the pace of the movie if you're kind of having it on in the background. It's it's a solid film.
1: Yeah. well, wow. I, I, I'm almost tempted to watch it. Mm.
0: I would say um, have a taste of the first one. If you don't like the first 20 minutes, bounce. You, Do I need to watch great. the first one to have the second one? You, you don't need to, um, but relationships are established and progressed from the first one to the second one. But you don't need to. The, one of the nice things about this her, uh, Enola talking directly to the um, to the audience is she does kind of catch you up on things in the movie if you didn't watch the first one, so you don't have to. But style wise, I don't know. I'd say watch watch Enola Holmes and then Enola Holmes two, but you're not going to be Going, oh my god! There's so much story. What's going? On? I don't know what the relationship is with this one and that one. It's fine. It tells everything you need to tell. Cool. Good to know. Yeah.
1: Have we got anything else? You don't. Are no, we no. uh, are we gonna let people have their uh yeah. blood run back into their ass as long as ours.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, next week I'm gonna try and get my ass to the cinema to watch Wakanda Forever. Um. But it's getting some interesting mixed reviews so far. Some people are saying that it's a bit of a mixed bag, trying to do too many things and not necessarily succeeding all the way. Others are saying that it's an emotional roller coaster that will have you on the edge of your seats.
1: I'm curious to see where I will fall. Gonna make up my own mind.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But um, beyond that, that is our show, ladies and gentlemen. We have talked about our chain movie of the week. The pawnbroker. I have picked the de- uh, before the devil knows you're dead as our next step. Um, we talked about the peripheral, or I did. Um, Travis talked about Argentina 1985, bros, weird, always be my maybe, and then I finished off with Anola Holmes 2 just now. But uh, thank you so much for joining us this week. If you do have any recommendations or suggestions for things that you want us to watch, Please jump into the chat um, on twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain or youtube.com slash armchairproducers, even on facebook.com slash friedbrainproductions. You can follow us on Twitter at thefriedbrain, at eviltrav. We will happily take your recommendations. Just give us a reason why. Why it doesn't have to be a great movie. It could be a terrible movie and a reason we watched, why. We
1: watched... Fucking Thomas in the Tank Engine, because one of your mates recommended it. So you know.
0: Yeah, I'm. I, I'm still not forgiven, Amy, for that one. Um There's a reason why she's hiding from me. I think. Um, <laughs> we don't forget. No, we, we forget. never will. <laughs> but thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Have a good night, and don't forget. Everyone's reading this book suspiciously, all at the same time. It's 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 really weird. It is. That's great. You too. could could read words on a printed page. Yes, Mm. that's right. Yeah, yeah. Until next time, good night.
3: Good night.